This is The Guardian. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This week, we're at Labour Party Conference in Liverpool, where Keir Starmer has made his big pitch. Why Labour? Because we serve your interests. Why Labour? Because we will grow every corner of our country. Why Labour? Because we have a plan. The big question is, has Labour got a story yet? Has Keir Starmer done enough to persuade voters that he ought to be the next Prime Minister? I'm John Harris and you're listening to Politics Week UK for The Guardian. I'm feeling very old this morning because I've just realised that I came to my first Labour Party conference. Are you ready? 37 years ago. That's terrible, isn't it? I was 16. Momentarily obsessed with the Labour Party, which was in a pretty dire state at the time. It was another 11 years away from government. (laughs) And now, it might be less than 12 months away. You do get a, or I get anyway, a, a sort of we are now a party of power feeling. Even just walking up. The other thing that's really obvious this morning is that this is quite small, really, in the context of the news. Because all we're reading about and, and seeing and hearing, quite rightly, is all about the Middle East and the worsening situation in Gaza and southern Israel. And so turning up here and getting handed leaflets about, you know, come to our fringe about Labour's energy policy, <laughs> as important as those things are, they feel somehow pretty trifling. I feel like I'm in a bubble, really. I always do at these things, but I really do today. They don't have much of an immediate impact. It's very hard to discern any effects uh, in the polls before and after conferences. So how much, in terms of the political battle in the next election, will Keir Starmer's speech today actually matter? I asked the political scientist and academic Rob Ford. Yes, they matter in a broader sense, in that they very often kind of set the symbolic tone that parties use to communicate to voters. They provide the phrases that then get repeated ad nauseum that eventually land with voters. How clear or otherwise do you think Labour's message is right now? Because it, you know, it's a fair chance it's less than a year till the general election, so we ought to know now, really. We ought to have a sense of Labour's story about the country it's going to create, what's wrong and what's right. Well, I mean, what we can see in the polling is that voters are much clearer on what they don't like about the Conservatives than what they do like about Labour. So the challenge is clearly there. You know, if you ask people about what does Labour stand for, what does Starmer stand for, then you get a lot of don't knows. So there's, there's, a, there's a gap there. And that, in a sense, is the challenge of this conference. What there is here, what hits you when you first get in, is all these Union Jacks with just two words. It just says Britain's future. Well, I mean, given the kinds of voters they need to win back, this is smart branding, frankly, because um, people love the flag. Uh, The kinds of voters that they're trying to appeal to tend to be more nationalistic. And future, 
in general, in the past, when oppositions win, they win because they offer a vision about the future. Right. So it's not a bad starting point, but you've actually got to, you know, flesh it out. So what Rob Ford, the political scientist, seemed to suggest was uh, that the Labour Party's got pretty strong branding, right? It's rehearsing its lines pretty well. But what sits behind that in terms of what it's actually going to do is still a mystery. I guess Starmer's speech will at least convey the, the impression that the, the substance is, uh, is beginning to rise to the surface. Whether or not any of these people know what that substance might be is what we're about to find out. Yeah. Talk to you for a minute. Here's a question. On the basis that the polls stay where they are and we get a Labour government, what are you expecting from it? I would expect them to stick to the green agenda and I expect them to do something about the appalling state of education in this country and social care. Um, I hope the promise to shift money from uh, big business, you know, non-dom, all that sort of stuff, I hope they do it. I mean, we talk about the NHS, but if we don't do something about social care, we're whistling in the wind. You always know, right, between going to the Tory conference and going to this one, that there is this sense of being on a different political planet in each case, right? But God, this is this year, it's like light years apart, isn't it? When we were going around with the microphone talking to people last week at Conservative Conference, unprompted, all they wanted to talk about was speed limits and small boats, right? And then straight away you go in and they want to talk about social care, education, <laughs> and the and the dreadful financial state of councils, right? I mean, fair play. It's, at least we are sort of somewhat in the real world here. Walking through the conference stalls, we bumped into someone from the Communication Workers' Union. So what would he like to see? We believe that the Labour Party could afford to be a lot more braver than it's currently being and inject a lot more hope when it's currently dealing. It feels like, you know, they're letting the enemy make the mistakes and they're trying to sneak into the doors of number 10. We'd rather they went in and smashed the doors in of number 10 and arrived and injected real optimism into this country. They would say that they've got to get the votes of people who voted Tory in 2019, right? And so they have to be cautious, you know? If they go in with the message of we're going to kick everything down and, and start again from scratch and so on, people will take fright and carry on voting Conservative. That winning power is hard and delicate and you have to be cautious. I suppose that's what they'd say. I mean, I think that's rubbish. I think no slight on Labour or Tory here, but a lot of people will be going to that ballot box to vote Tories out next time rather than vote Labour in and I think that's something that Labour should seriously seriously consider because in five years time the country will be asked that question again and if Labour haven't improved people's lot in lives then their answer may be different in London London even we're with Andy Burnham friend of the Politics Week the UK podcast and Mayor of Greater Manchester Andy this is so mind-bogglingly different politics is a strange thing isn't it because I came here must have been what five or six years ago and the Labour Party was the was this great carnival of left-wingery of various kinds and, you know, flags and pamphlets and banners and lots of shouting. Yeah. And now here I am and it's a serious, measured, suit-wearing party of power. Yeah, it, it's uh, a different conference, isn't it? <laughs> and um, I think there's very much a feeling that this is a one-conference-before-government conference. What are you going to get from a Labour government? I think it's interesting how views on devolution really are, are changing and I kind of sense that now. I, I do feel finally that the party is understanding the power of devolution to build a different kind of politics. So we've tried to operate in that way with the current government where you don't just criticise everything, you work with them in a practical way. 
And the same would apply for a Labour government, because if you lose that, if it looks like you're taking orders or you're, you're kind of just, just a delivery arm, you lose the power of what devolution is all about. At the end of the day, you've got to be prepared, if you need to, to stand up to a Labour government if they're doing the wrong thing, in the same way that we've had to stand up to a Conservative government. You and I both know that this country's in a terrible, terrible mess, right? In all sorts of ways. In that sense, what are you expecting to change in the four or five years of a Labour government once it, once it takes office? So, Labour in government could put buses back under public control throughout large swathes of England, if they go beyond the mayoral combined authorities, could build large numbers of buses in Britain, as we've done, and you could put the funding in, the revenue funding, to support low fares, to support more frequent services, and I would fully advocate that they do that. Uh, what else are you expecting to change? Council housing, and it was good to hear Angela Rayner uh, prioritising that in her, in her speech, and Angela is somebody I think we could all really work with on a plan to build a new generation of zero carbon homes for social rent. You're going to have to wait, and people in Greater Manchester are going to have to wait. That's the message that the leadership gives, right? That we're not going to take office and quickly pull the country out of the hole that it's in, right? There is going to be a large amount of patience required here. I wonder how you feel about that. Yes and no, though. I'm not sure I fully buy that, because if we're serious about growth in the regions, investment in transport is a sort of prerequisite uh, to get to get economic growth in the regions so there are things that can be done you know I think if you build council housing for instance you can cut the housing benefit bill so I don't think people should see everything we're in danger at this moment in politics because of the way both parties are sort of like you know kind of like looking at each other you know in that sort of uneasy standoff around spending where we just see everything in cost and no one talks about the wider benefit of of investment part of your job as you see it is to is to say be a bit bolder think, think well, that is part of my job I'm not going to shy away from that so I've been saying in the aftermath of the um, HSU Northern Powerhouse Rail debacle and by, by the way it was an utter mind-blowing way of working wasn't it you know you're, st you're still sort of reeling from that somewhat are you? for the city region really and people who've worked on those projects since George Osborne came a decade ago prom promising us the earth you know but it's not like Keir Starmer's going to pick up the pieces and stick them back together right he said that that, that HS2 in so far as the leg of it that goes from Birmingham to Manchester is over I believe if we are to fix the problems of the railways in the north of England it requires a new line from here in Liverpool through to Manchester with an underground station at Piccadilly. Have you therefore given up any hope of Rishi Sunak's decision not to do the leg of HS2 from Birmingham to Manchester being reversed? That's gone, is it, as far as you're concerned? I think, that's, I think that's a very difficult issue now because of the money being redistributed. My position to the party and to the government would be you've got to keep those protections. Let Andy Street and I see what we can do to come up with an alternative uh, plan. How are you getting on with the Labour leadership now? Because I think you're on record fairly recently as saying that it wasn't very good. You were getting briefed against and, and there were things happening on their part which you found a bit hard to stomach and so on. How is it at the minute? I think we're in a good place. We, we're meeting, we're, we're working together. There's a much better, uh, I would say, working relationship than let's say this time last year. I'm just going to be honest about that and I appreciate it and it's been led by, by Keir 
Sue Gray is making a real genuine difference. All right, thank you. Okay. I'm now joined by The Guardian's Polly Toynbee and Pippa Creera in the press room at the back of the Labour Conference Centre, where there's a lot of noise and no natural light, a, a typical conference environment. Hello to you both. Hi. Uh, we've just heard Keir Starmer's big speech. Let's have a listen to the Labour leader laying out what the party would do with power, uh, and it seems the story it's probably going to tell the country at the next election. Why Labour? Because we serve your interests. Why Labour? Because we will grow every corner of our country. Why Labour? Because we have a plan to take back our streets, switch on great British energy, get the NHS back on its feet, tear down the barriers to opportunity and get Britain building again. A plan for a Britain built to last, a plan to heal the wounds, a plan to turn the page and say, in a cry of defiance to all those who now write our country off, Britain must... Britain can, Britain will get its future back. Thank you, conference. So that speech ended uh, about, what, half an hour ago, 40 minutes ago, something like that? Polly, what did you think? I think it was pretty good. I think it was a bit too long. Uh, I think that... what was interesting about it was that he really went for class in a big way, in a way that you would never have had Blair or Brown go for class in quite such a visceral way, go for the Tories. Remind us of the class elements of the speech? He said... You know, that the uh, that you do belong, we back your potential, where every contribution is equally valued. And he talked about the Tories saying they don't see you, they don't hear you, they only care about themselves. And he talked about his own working class background, which he often does because most people still don't know it. They think he's a sir by birth, and so he has to keep saying that. But it's very important. People do mind about the background of their politicians. And contrasting himself with Rishi Sunak all the time and talking about class opportunity and talks about Rishi Sunak, for instance, uh, levelling down and Rishi Sunak saying that it was a, a false dream that 50% could go to university. Yeah, yeah. He, he was quite righteously angry about that, wasn't he? He was very angry and said this is a way of holding down working class kids. Uh, so I thought that was all quite punchy and powerful. It's almost like a sort of modest, polite populism, dare I say it, that kind of rhetoric, isn't it? It's quite anti-elitist in its own way. In its own way it is, but it was quite angry too. A sense of real indignation about the Tories, the extent to which they'd misled the people who'd voted for them, promising to level up and they never did and never meant it. Uh, A a sense of people being cheated, cheated by the system, cheated by the way life is, cheated by lack of opportunity. And I felt a genuine sense of, uh, you know, his own background that he'd made it, but lots of others hadn't. OK, Pepper, what did you think? Well, I think that Keir Starmer came to Labour conference saying that he and his party needed to explain to the country, if not them, the Tories, why us, Labour. And I thought that this speech was the start of him doing that. It was very policy light. He was, he was announcing policies that we already had heard about before. The sort of the key policy offer was the 1.5 million new homes, but he mentioned that at the weekend on a broadcast round. But actually, that wasn't what this one was about. It wasn't about the retail offer to voters. It was about... I suppose telling a story about what Labour would be like in government and as well as that a direct appeal to Conservative voters that they could switch to Labour to SNP voters that they could and also to the Labour base with some of the stuff that that Polly's talked about about class but also about sort of the workers rights plans which is going down really well on the doorstep indeed cited as one of the policy areas in Rutherglen. When when he essentially said 
too often we're told that putting up people's wages, helping people out, holds the economy back somehow, and that's how you help growth. And when he said that, I was in the Guardian bunker here, and there were sort of small cheers went up. It was it was a bit of sort of left wing red meat, really. That well, bit, there was cheers it? in the hall, obviously packed with Labour activists as well. So I think that was a really important message. That it wasn't just about winning over SNP and Tory voters. It's also about giving his own base hope and a bit of inspiration on top of the reassurance which we've heard, which we've had non-stop for the last few years. He's he's, man, he's got that bit in the bag, I think. It's about what comes next. And this was a sort of a, a narrative arc, if you like, telling a story, with lots of references to service, lots of references to renewal, about what a Labour government would look like. We watch speeches like that in a slightly strange way, which none of the general public do, because they don't watch the whole thing. It reminds me a bit of when I worked for the music press, and they used to say, you review the main stage at Glastonbury, and you sit there from 11 in the morning till 11 at night, as if everybody watches every band for that long, right? And in the same way, nobody, or hardly anybody, watches a whole conference speech. It's really there as a resource, then, to be clipped on the evening news, right? And in that sense, it it might have worked. But what I felt watching it was I wasn't sure what his unifying theme was. Because he had four or five, mission government, service, this idea that government should be humble and help people not be a burden on them. Uh, The age of insecurity was another one. Helping working people helps growth, that's another. So, and he, it never quite resolved as to, come on, what's your central story? Tony Blair, by comparison, you were never in any doubt watching his speeches, what the story was that he'd come to tell you. And in, in this one, I felt he had four or five, and, and, and the process, it was good, right? But none of them really solidly, spectacularly landed. I think that uh, national renewal was a very strong theme that ran all the way through it. It was, uh, we're going to build, we're the builders. Uh, no, we're the healers. We're the healers. We're the party of aspiration because the Tories have always won uh, over Labour voters by saying, we're for aspiration, Labour is for levelling everybody out. And I think uh, in this speech, and indeed in, in Rachel Reeves' speech, and for a while now, Labour has taken that crown we're for we're the builders we're going to build your homes and we're we are the renewing public services that they've destroyed Tories in Manchester have been cutting things uh, here they're building things Pippa of those four or five sort of competing themes so of mission government service the age of insecurity which one do you think is the most defining one I think it's the overall, as Polly says, it's the overall theme of renewal. It's about the future. I mean, that's what the slogan of conference was. I've seen Keir Starmer at this conference and spoken to him privately, and he talks a lot about the feeling that his parents' generation had um, for uh, his parents' generation, for his generation, was that they were going to have a brighter future than they had. And lots of parents now don't feel that about their own children um, and their own future. And so it's about looking back, reflecting on the last 13 years and what the Conservatives have done, because he, unlike Rishi Sunak, wanted to reflect on the last 13 years, and saying, actually, looking forward, what would we do differently? How could we repair? And he talked about the Wilson government, he talked about the Blair government, he, he sort of, like, uh, you know, reflected further back in history to look at how other Labour governments have, have managed to move the country forward to focus on the future. And for me, that was the overarching theme of it all. What you take from that, though, is quite basic, isn't it? The message is it doesn't have to be crap. 
I mean, that's effectively what he's telling people, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's true, because I think there's a kind of resignation. Austerity was necessary, all this had to be done, and that's been blown away, and Labour's saying that's not true, but we've got to come in and repair it yet again. This happens every time, it happened last time. We have to put the NHS back together, we have to put schools back together. Uh, tremendous sort of optimism about being able to do that, uh, which I think was encouraging, and as Pippa says, it's very much about the future, and um, how dis- all the past has been. I mean, his attacks on, on Tories were pretty savage. Yeah, they landed pretty well. Um, Pippa, as you say, it was policy light. Nonetheless, can you just talk us through three or four things that stuck out? One I've got written down here is a pledge to update and revive the Labour tradition of building new towns. That was, that was one that obviously stuck out. Another one that, that stuck out was that, and he really roared this one out and he got a huge response, was restating the Labour Party's commitment to climate action. Yeah, I mean, that was really important, not least because, of course, Rishi Sunak has ripped up their commitment, not their end 2050 target, but watering down the targets along the way. So that's going to be a clear dividing line at the election, obviously. And then just as he talked about rebuilding the country, he also talked a lot about building homes. That 1.5 million homes pledge was an important one. And beyond that, really, it was sort of a, a reiteration of existing pledges, but kind of like fitting them into his narrative. So talking about Great British Energy and people being self-reliant, you know, that whole sort of securonomics theme that Rachel Reeves, we've heard from her, um, the, the sort of geographic placement as well. I mean, I thought it was quite interesting uh, underlining the fact that his plan for Great British Energy would be based in Scotland. Um, there was a real sort of uh, overarching theme about, about, the, about the union there as well and working together. Um, obviously, with the Rutherglen by-election very much in his mind are the prospect yeah, of taking more that, seats. He talked really about Scotland quite a lot. But look, you know, I think we're a year out, probably, maybe a bit less, from a general election. And there'll be moments, whether it's the King's speech, whether it's the autumn statement, whether it's the next budget, where we hear more from the government on what their plans are. And Labour will have to respond. So I think the policy stuff will come. I think it's OK that there wasn't massive amounts of new stuff in there. We, he had a moment to, to answer the question that you, get, that you get on the doorsteps all the time. What does Keir Starmer stand for? What's he about? Um, when the people like us, people like the broadcasters, all have their eyes focused, um, the attention focused on what's going on in that room, party conferences generally pass the public by. They maybe get, parties get maybe like one shot at sending a message, and if their Labour's shot is, you know, this has actually been a pretty uh, calm, business-like, professional, serious, grown-up conference, and we know a little bit more about what Keir Starmer is like and what his vision is, then they'll regard that as a success. Nothing about immigration. Nothing, which, considering yeah, right. the anxiety that the Labour Party has about that issue, is quite surprised. Yeah, and actually any of the issues, really, which the Tories are desperate to jump on for dividing lines. So nothing on Brexit, nothing on immigration, nothing on, uh, on uh, trans rights. Um, you know, it's almost like he was deliberately avoiding those things. He did mention Brexit, actually, I Once. thought rather boldly. Once, and he did say how they had misled, how you know, they'd, they'd promised there would be nothing but benefits. And that, I thought, was quite bold. I thought he wouldn't mention it at all, so I was glad to see that there. I think the new towns thing is quite big, and that's a hell of a lot of new towns he's planning. It does go back, and he said it went back to an old Labour idea that had worked very well. It did work very well. I'm a great fan of new towns. The, the revival of the spirit of Milton Keynes and so on, I think, is nothing but a good thing. Let me the ask idea that there's no policy, can I just say that? A lot of these policies policy have been light. they've been said before about the building, about the climate, about the working rights particularly. Uh, the fact that you have to repeat them over and over and over again, and only when the likes of you and I are absolutely sick of it, might it reach half the population. What he said about um, Gaza and Israel and events over the last four or five days, horrific events, 
definitely showed you that this is to state the blandly obvious this is a different party from the party that it was five or six years ago absolutely and he made a real point of I mean repeatedly throughout stressing what a changed party it was um, you know there's no space in the party for some of the views of old and and actually one of the biggest cheers understanding ovation came when he talked about um, when he absolutely condemned the barbarity that um, that had been happening that's been happening in Israel uh, clearly it feels very much like a different place a different party helped him as well that that protester who I think was protesting about electoral reform PR yeah it was very hard to tell uh, it helped him that that happened, right? Because then straight away he said, we're not a party of protest anymore. Yes, I think that was a good line. Um, I, I thought that was quite neatly done. I mean, it, I don't think it helps anybody to be disrupted at the beginning of their speech or their great moment. I think it, it's always slightly anticlimactic and he took a little time to sort of get up to speed again after that. But, um, you know, I, I think that the idea that these speeches don't matter, they do in a way. They set the agenda for the next few months. They set what we'll all be talking about. Uh, they lay out tone, a, a party's tone, in a way that's very important. public may not get it first time, but bit by bit, in an amazing way, it filters through to people. People's going to have to go in a minute, aren't you? There's a, there's a very important huddle from the, the Labour uh, Director of Communications, so they can tell us what to think about the speech, because also we don't have any views already. <laughs> <laughs> OK, while we're waiting for the huddle to uh, erupt or form or whatever it does, let's pause for a moment. We'll be back with more from Pippa and Polly after this. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back. Pippa is going to have to run off into the huddle any minute. I've got one last question to ask you before me and Polly take this home. Is it enough? No, in a word. I mean, there's a lot more still for them to do. But what it is, is it's a start. And it's starting to answer that question of what Starmerism is, what a Labour government would do. And it's a basis, along with his policy missions, to um, to move forward from. But let's not kid ourselves. I mean, that was directed at you know people watching the six o'clock news at home, but primarily at the party, at people like us, um, people that sort of you know help create that narrative. And uh, there's a lot of hard work to do for them on the doorsteps right up and down the country. They've always said that the bulk of the policy will come quite close to the next election. They'll wait till after the next two financial events, the autumn statement and then the budget. They'll see how much money there is, they'll see what the Tories are going to do and uh, how they can craft themselves, which policies they can prioritise. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my art sceptic hat back on, which I haven't, I haven't worn for the last sort of 15 or 20 minutes, but I still don't know what the story is. I have a better sense of it than I did a year ago or two years ago. 
But compared to the, the same point in the political cycle when New Labour were around, I'm still not entirely sure. The idea that we're about the future, I can, I can see that's worth saying in the context of public pessimism and the idea of getting the future back is quite powerful, but it doesn't really tell you what you're there to do, right? I don't think mission government does. And I think the idea of service is a pretty laudable one. I think that's a pretty good theme to bring to what you're doing. But again, it's not defining. And so I suppose I still feel that I'm at something of a loss, and I certainly would be if I was out there wondering who to vote for, about why Keir Starmer and why the Labour Party? I think the story of building is about the future. I think the story of building a lot of new towns and 1.5 million new homes, and as Angela Rayner said, you know, half of them will be social homes uh, and affordable homes. I think that's pretty remarkable, and that's, that's putting down what you mean about the future. Now, I don't know, when people like you say that, and they say it all the time... There are people I like don't me! Th- yeah, there are people Slightly like... Slightly sceptical people. Of them are guardian We're readers. in a press room, Polly. Everybody here probably has those tendencies. I don't Even know, you. I, let me finish my sentence. I don't know what it is you're waiting for. Is it great big ideological flags to wave? No. Or is it practical things? I have been around fringe after fringe after fringe here, and heard in great detail people discussing the nitty-gritty of policy, how to make the NHS work better, how to produce poverty programmes that really work, getting back, for instance, to Sure Start type programmes. It's not been airy-fairy. Right, we're suffering the perils of podcasting at a party conference. Pippa's gone into the huddle. Polly, here's a sort of last question, which isn't about politics, certainly not with a large P. It's about Keir Starmer as a person, right? Because if you're going to be a successful politician, I guess quite a significant body of people have to like you. And people report back from focus groups and say he's not there yet. But to emphasise the positive, I did get quite a, a nice, satisfying, emotional sense of him and his backstory and this idea of his working-class upbringing, holidays in the Lake District. You know, a sort of solid working-class ambition and decency that he somehow wanted to use to animate his politics. And I thought he did that pretty well. I think he did. I think he's not uh, a natural speaker. He doesn't reach out and be warm to a large audience. He's, he's a very warm character when you meet him in private. Um, you know, he's, he's not a born and bred politician, but he is full of indignation and anger, and you really feel that, about the way working class people are treated, and he wanted to express it. And I thought one of the best bits was when he talked about how his sister had been a, a care worker yeah. through the pandemic, 14-hour shifts, and his outrage at what was going on, meanwhile, parties in, in Westminster and cleaners in number 10 being mocked by the, the, the spads and the, and the young toffs who were uh, you know, puking in waste bins through the party gate and his genuine sense of indignation, uh, class indignation and at the nature of what the Tories are like. I think they do disgust him. But also, there's a sort of warm emotional human vision of the pebble dash semi and the values within it and all that, which I think, again, he probably needs to work on and develop a bit more, but he's on to something. I think he is. I think his own background is exactly that solid working class, mother a nurse, father a toolmaker, and uh, ambitious for their children. And my goodness, they did well with him. You know, he ended up in charge of Crown Prosecution Service. Um, but he needs to keep saying it because people really don't know. And a two-term government, they're now talking in those terms. Maybe getting ahead of themselves. What do you think? 
I think they need to talk in those terms because you can't build much in five years. It takes ages to get the spades in the ground, even if they completely uh, overturn the planning system, which they promised to do. Uh, yes, it needs two terms to really build, and let's hope they get it. Right, we will march into the future we've been offered. Thank you so much for joining us, Polly. <laughs> A pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure you subscribe to Politics Weekly UK wherever you get your podcasts. And even better, leave us a review. You'll doubtless have been following what's been happening in Israel and Palestine. If you want more coverage of that story, our sister podcast today in focus will be talking to the Guardian Jerusalem correspondent Bethan McKernan about the toll on civilians in both Gaza and Israel. And that's out on Thursday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Frankie Toby. The music is by Axel Picoutier and the executive producers are Maz Ebtahaj and Nicole Jackson. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.